with Harry Broad and Tony Acidic. All right, for the record, just because the name's changed doesn't mean the opening is, because it's, it's a pretty cool opening. All right, if we can get one where we have the newer songs first, maybe. We'll see. Hey, everybody. Welcome into a special Wednesday edition of The Reaction here on Powerhouse Radio. I'm Harry Broadhurst, and joining me, as per usual, my co-host... I'm taking it back, Tony. Tony That was just for you, bud. Nice. It never gets old. Tonight's episode of The Reaction brought to you by Kraft Mac and Cheese. I don't care if I'm 29 years old. You put a box of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mac and Cheese in front of me, I will eat it. That was my dinner. <laughs> How's life on the West Coast? <laughs> um, life is cool, man. Um, without sounding too much like a hipster or anything, I went to the beach yesterday to watch two old men without shirts play the guitar. It was pretty cool. And then you went to work as a bartender. Yeah, that's the story of my life. <laughs> hey. Somebody's got to do it, right? Might as well be you. Yeah, I have no complaints. Did you just crack a do already? Jason, I don't know what two minutes into the about. show. Two minutes into the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as I mentioned, we're on a little bit of a delay because our fearless leader decided to accidentally set up Monday's episode for 30 minutes instead of 90. And then I made the boneheaded move of setting up tonight for 120 minutes. I yeah. just added them together and said, "I just I added them together and said, fuck it. We'll just cut it. At, we'll cut it at 90 once we finish anyways. It's not like it ever takes you know, off. A lot of successful moments in my life have began with fuck it. So. <laughs> uh, there's I, an I believe, I believe that story as to why I was born. I think somewhere along the lines, my mom just said, fuck it. <laughs> wow. She's a great woman. Yes. Shout out to Mrs. Acero. Mama Mama A, as it were. <laughs> and you don't just so love your mama on Mother's Day. No, I love my mom every day. She's a wild bitch. She's crazy. I, I somehow don't think Mr. T used those exact words in his Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, she's not. Uh, I believe she was on the Greg DeMarco show once for about two minutes, and she dropped the F-bomb like 40 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course she did. Given who her son is, I'm not surprised. What does your sister make of all this craziness? Uh, which one? My favorite one? The one that I'm always seeing you tag on Facebook. Oh, yeah. She she thinks it's awesome. That kid is... She's funnier than I am. And I'm like 8 out of 10 funny. Uh, jeez. Just runs in the family. She yeah, she doesn't watch wrestling, though. Aw. That would be a hell of a show. The Acero family talks raw. 
Yeah, this isn't the WWE Network. <laughs> no more booking of Sarah's for our program? Is that what you're saying? One's enough? Oh, I considered bringing my little brothers on, you know, like I've told you before, but that's more of a uh, analytical approach to how children watch the show more so than how we watch it. Right. Speaking I'm of working show, on... <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, you actually segueing into the actual discussion now? Yeah, I think we should talk about Raw. Well, then let's talk about it, shall we? We only have 120 minutes to fulfill. <laughs> Don't worry, I can cut it short once we finish up. It's at an hour and a half like we usually do. Hey, right. m- most women would be happy with an hour and a half, okay? <laughs> wow, you're you're pretty active in the afternoon. Oh, it's not even afternoon for you. It's like midnight. <laughs> no, it's eight o'clock over here. Oh. This right. is what this is what this is what happens when it's not pushing midnight, and I actually have something resembling some form of energy left inside of me. Due to the Mac raw idea. hasn't raw hasn't beaten it out of me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Those three hour raws can be a sure, man. But actually, let's go ahead and get to it. Let's talk about raw. All right. And our opening for this week on Monday Night Raw for September twenty ninth, two thousand and fourteen. Once again, you are listening to the reaction. The opening for the episode of Raw was the Authority, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley, coming out to the ring and addressing a certain chant that kicked off immediately, which, given where they were, is not surprising. Right. And then they segued it right into discussion about Dean Ambrose stealing the briefcase on SmackDown. Yes, something happened on SmackDown, Tony. Oh, well, I'll be banned. (laughs) So anyways, Ambrose hijacks the briefcase on SmackDown, but before we go any further with the Ambrose storyline, we're joined by Paul Heyman, of all people. Heyman makes his way out, comes down to the ring, and he tells the McMahon family, just particularly the authority here in this particular instance, that he doesn't take him too kindly, and neither does his client, Brock Lesnar, which he said six times. Did you know Brock Lesnar's Paul Heyman's client? As sure as I know I'm a Greg DeMarco guy. Had to work that in early, didn't you? Yes. Anyway. And Heyman takes issue with Rollins trying to cash in on Lesnar. Rollins comes out, and I would say this was about as fake of a genuine apology as Rollins could muster, given the circumstances. Like, it looked legit, but you could tell. No, I'm not really sorry. (laughs) The kids call that hashtag sorry, not sorry. That's exactly what Rollins was pulling there. But anyways, so, anyways, Heyman leaves after a little bit of tête-à-tête with Seth Rollins, saying that the next time he won't, him and Brock Lesnar won't be as forgiving in regards to Seth's treachery. Right. So, Heyman leaves, and that leaves us with Rollins, Triple H and Stephanie in the ring, and sets us up for the rest of the show. Regards to Rollins trying to get his briefcase back, the happenings between Rollins and Ambrose, and then eventually, after what happened with the briefcase, leading into our main event tag match. Yeah, yet another main event tag match, and the same four people involved in the main event scene from last week's episode of Raw. So my questions to you are twofold. One... 
because I briefly asked you this before we pulled the plug on Monday's episode. Does right. the idea of Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar interest you at all? Right. I remember. Um, well, to answer that question, it does interest me. I think it'd be a great match, and I think there'd be a, if done right, the story would be good. However, um, also, like I said on Monday, the, the booking of Seth Rollins and just the reality of his character versus the reality of Brock Lesnar's character doesn't mesh well. Um, they would be completely one-sided. It would, um, it would, it would just look wrong. Um, I, I've, I've been a strong proponent of storylines um, pushing forward matches, but in this case, you don't have enough time, nor do you have enough believability. Seth Rollins is a what we call a chicken shit heel, whereas Brock Lesnar is what the beast incarnate. So putting them up against one another wouldn't work out. And I believe you're the one that said it on Monday that it would tarnish the loss of John Cena, and I don't think that they would do that. Yeah, my big thing was is any kind of extended offense that Rollins would get in in the first match against Lesnar would make Cena's loss to Lesnar at SummerSlam look like that much more of a joke. Right. Because in addition to this being Rollins' first time in the ring with Lesnar, Cena also outraised Rollins by a good 30, 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. Seth's probably about 200. Cena's about 250. <clears throat> yeah, and it's just it's, it's not necessarily the weight as much as it is the look and the believability of the character. You believe that jo- that Brock versus John Cena is um, a money match and is something that is um, not one-sided. You would not believe that with Seth Rollins. You would have to build him up to be something. Um, and the only way that a little man can face a big man is if there's an underdog story, and you're just not going to have that with Seth. Honestly, I think you're going to get more of that kind of scenario out of the Shield guys with you were to build up to a match between Brock Lesnar and Dean Ambrose. And I think Ambrose yeah. is just crazy enough to pull off the, don't give a crap if he's bigger than me, I'll still kick his ass. Which is the believability that you... Uh, that you need, you know, um, like I, you know, it, it, like I said, it's not necessarily the size; it's the it's the character. Dean Ambrose is the type of dude that would run in front of a truck because the truck pissed him off. Brock Lesnar happens to be the size of a truck, so it makes sense. Damn trucks pissing people off! How dare they? All right, so that takes us into our tag match main event for the evening, and that was the team of John Cena and Dean Ambrose taking on the team of Seth Roll, or excuse me, of Randy Orton and Kane. And yet again, yet another Raw main event, yet another disqualification. Got to tell you, it's getting kind of old. It's way too much of a booking fallback to go with the disqualification endings. If you're not going to put a finish on these matches, why book them in the first place? And at this point in his career, Kane Kane doesn't need to be being protected. You can have Kane need a fall and then still have what happens go down with Rollins coming in and Rollins, Orton, and Kane standing tall at the end of the episode. If it ain't a roll-up, you know, it's a DQ. <laughs> right. Um, your thoughts on, again, the DQ finish, and also something that I said on Yes was a little bit controversial. I said that it actually made sense for Rollins to stand tall over Cena and Ambrose tonight, and that we very rarely see the heel stand tall anymore, especially on the uh, on the Monday episodes of the TV shows. Uh, do you like oh. the idea behind Rollins standing tall here? And... Where do you think this is going to lead us as we go towards the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view? Well, yeah, you and I talked about it as far as heels ending the show, that they don't do it enough, and um, it's it's a very powerful moment. It's one of those things where uh, us as adults, we don't cliffhangers don't necessarily work on us unless it's some sort of shock. 
um, which is another thing that they don't do. They never end the show on a shock. They like to start it, or they they adhere to football schedules, which is sad, but that's what they do. Um, so it's kind of nice to see an end where it may very well make you want to watch the next show. Um, as a as a kid or as a young adolescent watching the show, you're like, oh man, I hope that they you know handle them next week, or I hope that they beat up Seth next week, or kick his butt, you know, as the brothers say. Um, so it's 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 a tool that they don't use a lot, and it's really awesome to see, um, simply because without a good heel, your faces don't mean shit, and that's you know particularly one of the reasons why John Cena is one of the many reasons why he's a failing character. Um, so as far as the ending goes, I thought it was great. I, I'm okay with the DQ ending, even though that half the show was ended up on roll up, but only because the animosity between Ambrose and uh, Rollins is. Is it needs to continue, and I don't know if it petered out a bit in the past week or so, but it felt like it because you know Ambrose has been gone. That I'm okay with that happening simply because it, it just felt felt good, it felt right um, to an extent. As far as the uh, what what is the proposed hell in the cell? Well, from what I'm hearing, it's possibly Ambrose and Cena, and then the winner gets Rollins. Do you think that's where they're going, yes. or is that actually announced? Or? No, nothing's been officially announced yet, but that's the long-standing rumor. Honestly, I think it would make more sense to put them in there in the three-way against each other. Yeah, and the reason the reason I say that it would make more sense to put them in the three-way against each other is because I take you back to what happened after the match on Raw this Monday when Rollins did come in, and then Cena and Ambrose were fighting each other in an attempt to get out Rollins. What better way for the Authority to attempt to stick the screws to Cena and Ambrose than to put them into the match where they both had to fight each other in order to get their hands on Rollins? Right. Yeah, I mean, um, really the only issue I would have with it is if it ended up acting like uh, when they were chasing him, um, you know, Cena basically mocking Dean <laughs> everything he did um, just to get his hands on Rollins. No, but that's that's really not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, I feel that it would be interesting uh, as far as seeing Ambrose versus Cena and then whoever wins getting Rollins. But, I mean, do you think Ambrose would even win that? And if that's the case, it kind of – I don't know. Cena seems to have been shoehorned into this, and I think a lot of people don't like that because the the story between Ambrose and Rollins had a lot of heat going for it, and it, it was fun, it was invigorating, and it was just far enough removed from the main event that it had its own standalone purpose. And then, similar to the Divas title, they they tend to mix storylines for the sake of assuming that the newer ones just simply can't handle it on their own. Um, so <clears throat> it's kind of it's kind of rough to see Cena shoehorned in there. But at the same time, I think Ambrose and Rollins, just like taking two good things, throwing a bad thing in there doesn't necessarily eliminate how good things can be. It's just a little bit it's just a little bit of a sour taste, that's all. The only way that I could see this making sense here is if Ambrose actually defeats Cena at Hell in a Cell. And the reason I say that is because the Shield proxy storyline for Seth Rollins has been going on since he turned on them the night after after Extreme or not Extreme after Payback, excuse me. The night after uh, payback, when Seth Rollins turned on the other two members of the Shield and joined up with the Authority, you had an instant build-in feud going forward between Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose and then Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. And eventually, if they wanted to cross that bridge, Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, even if that was more out of a respect situation. Ambrose and Rollins got a brief time, but they never really got a full final blow-off to their feud. They had the match at a... They had the match at 
that got called off at Battleground, and then they had the match at SummerSlam. But we saw Rollins win that match at SummerSlam. So there was no clear babyface blow-off to the feud between Ambrose and Rollins. Now, the next logical step for Rollins was to put him into the feud with Reigns, but Reigns' injuries, Reigns' injury brings Ambrose back into the fold. So what better way for Ambrose to finally get his hands one-on-one, no outside interference, than getting Rollins inside of the cell? And if he has to go through John Cena to do that, then so be it. Yeah, and my 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 if there, if their focal point is no longer buys for the pay per view, then why not take a risk and end it with these two faces or with not literal faces like as a face heel dynamic, but faces of you know WWE um, that are both red hot. Rollins gets booed for all the right reasons. Ambrose gets cheered for all the right reasons. This is it's like in essence a new generation that they're just afraid to realize is a new generation. WWE, as far as I've watched them, are always afraid to usher in a new era and would rather have it forced upon us, you know? And that, that's unfortunate. The, the, biggest stars are come, they, the biggest stars come out of risks that, that they take. You know, you got to look at the, the big names, Stone Cold, The Rock. Um, you know, these names were, they grew off of a risk on this one person who was able to develop a character. And, of course, there was a lot of other mixtures of dynamics in there that helped. But realistically, it was that one person, Stone Cold, you know, the man, Steve Austin, you know, Rock, the the, the dude, you know, um, they had something. I think that Ambrose and Rollins have something. And if they were given the trust, which I think they are, but, uh, um, I mean, we've talked about this before. Imagine those two names headlining a WWE pay-per-view. That's something that five years ago we would have been like, yeah, right. (laughs) No, and the thing is, is you brought up the perfect point to that, and that is being that we're in the network era as far as the pay-per-views go. They're not so relying on people buying the pay-per-views as they would be trying to keep a guy like Cena or an Orton or back when he was still around at Jericho or any of the other bigger names that they had, Batista, in the main event picture, Brian when he was healthy. In the main event picture, because they can take these chances here and not have to worry about people not wanting to renew subscriptions over seeing Ambrose and Rollins in the in the main event scene. Another thing is is that with NXT being the focal point that it has been lately and all the recent signings into NXT, uh, Adeo Hadami, the former Kenta, um, Finn Balor, the former Prince Devitt, Kevin Steen, who's yet to debut, Kalisto, they're all marketed toward that IWC audience, the same IWC audience that's going to watch an ROH where Seth Rollins was a star as Tyler Black, that's going to watch a CZW or a Dragon Gate USA where Dean Ambrose was a star as John Moxley. So you're catering towards them with the NXT marketplaces anyways, so why not give them the opportunity to shine in the main event scene of, of a special event or a pay-per-view, depending on however they want it. I just, I, I really see um, a lot of the, uh, I think that Triple H is doing a lot of good things, and I think that it's just a matter of, I mean, without, without you know, we're talking about Raw, so without getting too deep into it, it's just a matter of what they're trying to stick to as far as making money, more so than the um, the quality of the show, which, which I don't feel that they see ties hand in hand. They, they'd rather stick with what they know, and, I mean, we've been complaining about it as fans for years now, it's not necessarily the best thing. Well, here's the thing, and this is a conversation I've had with other people before, so I'll go ahead and bring it up to you here before we move on to our next talking point. 
Do you think it's become a battle place? Len Archibald had a really good article about this on 401. Do you think it's become a battle point between the WWE as Vince sees it and then the WWE as Triple H wants it now? Um, I want to, well, yeah, please, let's just reiterate that Len Archibald had an amazing article on 411media.com, and I really implore everyone to check that out. It's a good read, and um, it's not at all boring, um, <laughs> so do it. But in terms of the civil war that he was talking about between Vince and Triple H, I do think that it exists. I don't think it's as serious as, um, you know, them sitting in a room and saying, we should do this tonight. No, we should do this tonight. I think Triple H still um, goes alongside with a lot of what Vince, um, you know, goes with, what, what Vince wants. I think that they, I think that he still sticks with what they know. And I also think that Triple H is great as far as talent, but that doesn't always transpire to be a great Raw. You know, they they simply put the creative writing of the of the creative team sucks, and I just don't think he has as much input as we think he does in terms of that. In in all reality, he may just be waiting for Vince to you know pass away, and then try to make and some or- changes. But as either pass away and or step down. Yeah, yeah, either way. Um so so yeah, the I don't think that I don't think that them two are butting heads as far as what we see every Monday night as much as we assume they are. I do think that Triple H, even if he was just running the show, that we would still see a lot of the sophomore humor. Um and that's based off of promos that he's cut, jokes that he's made both in and out of character and a lot of the stuff that he's a part of. A lot of the stuff that Triple H as a character has been a part of has not been um, highbrow humor. It's been, it's been very, very um, immature and um, kind of stupid at times. So I feel that I feel that there's a particular section um, of him that that isn't necessarily as awesome as we think he is. Nothing to do with with the talent that he chooses. That all right there is very important. Well, the other thing to touch on about that here, just and we're going over on this, but that's all right because this is kind of a major talking point, especially in regards to the content of the programs. Uh, do you watch NXT? Uh, yeah, not as much as I would like to, but um, I've been trying to catch up. I started a couple of weeks ago, and I've gone back, I want to say, three months. So I'm trying to catch up. Triple H is basically single-handedly booking NXT, though. So, I mean, obviously he has a little bit of a staff working with him in order to help touch up the undercard stuff, but a lot of the main focus angles that we're seeing on NXT, the slow burn that we're getting from Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville, the the rise of Tyson Kidd, the use of the Sons of Anarchy Anarchy gimmick for Baron Corbin, a lot of that is coming from Triple H. So I think that there's an opportunity to translate some of the talent that goes into writing an NXT program into moving over towards, towards Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown as well going forward. You know, I agree with you, but I have to also point out the fact that NXT is catering to a different crowd. And I don't mean the crowd that's in the stands. I mean the crowd that is known as sponsorship and people that give them money and Susan G. Coleman and all this other shit that they're you know, they're tying themselves into simply for money. Um, so I think that the NXT is one of those, it's like the little brother that you don't pay attention to um, because you're so focused on the big brother, um, you know, or, or just in general, just you. all of their monetary focus is driven to the big show, Raw, 
you know, not even SmackDown. <laughs> SmackDown is Raw recap. Okay, um, Raw is with the occasional they, happening. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that once that mindset is like, oh shit, it's not about making a good product. It's about how we can make the most money. Instead of tying those two together, they focus on the first one, and then that's why we get a show that is somewhat spotty at times because they're trying to please an entire world, not just their fans. Uh, NXT honestly is just for us. I really do think that. I think that in watching it. It's their, it's the place where they could test things. It's the place where they could do what they love because where all these people have come from is a place of literal wrestling. In, in essence, they're us. They just wanted to be wrestlers, you know. So right. our mentalities, our our writing, our everything goes into NXT, and that's why we love it so damn much. But as far as the bigger stage, I think that they get it, that there's a certain model that they have to stick to, and I think that that's gonna hurt them more so than you know, shoddy storytelling. That's a part of it. That's a huge part of it. But I, I think that's what I'm trying to say, basically. No, I understand where you're coming from completely. It's actually a very valid point. You have to cater for... What's the old phrase? You have to dance with the one that brought you? Mm-hmm. And for the WWE, on the major programming scale, it's a lot of the television advertisers that they have. It's having to keep the content family friendly for Mattel because of their ad- because of the advertising contract that they have for Mattel. Obviously the long running October tradition of combining up with Susan G. Komen for the cure, which by the way I have no problem with them doing that. I don't mind the excessive promotion there. It's a very important topic. Uh family members, friends that have been affected by it. So and obviously I'm sure a lot of our listeners have family members and friends affected by the disease as well. So it's stuff like that that I don't mind. It's when they're breaking down into the other things that sneak their way into an episode of Monday Night Raw, like I take you back to the Twisted Tea commercial that they did on an episode of Raw, or when they're constantly plugging the app or the video game or everything else that's coming out there. And that's the big thing for me is that I agree with you in that they have a lot of bosses to cater to in regards to having to get everything in over the course of a program, but there are ways to do that without it adversely affecting the booking of the product as well. Yeah. You look thirsty, Tony. Yes. Not that, not that you haven't cracked one open already today. <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if this is more the crowd or the writing. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give it to the WWE in terms of what's happening here. Daniel Bryan, I believe, has been mentioned in some way, shape, or form every week since he's been injured. Um, and then tonight, even though it's a, I, I think it's because of the Chicago crowd, which had good and bad qualities on Monday night. Uh, but watching Bree stand in the middle of the ring and do the yes chant and have the entire crowd join her and do it as loudly as they did, it made me feel some type of way. Like I was like, oh, son of a bitch, he still exists. <laughs> you know, like like I know that there's some people that say that the yes chant is now just simply a chant that they use. It has little to do with Daniel Bryan. And and we see that sometimes, where they chant yes to in response to somebody else or something else that has any, nothing to do with Daniel Bryan. However, I think that, that, that with Bree standing in the middle of the ring, it really proved that it's still his chant, and it's still for him, and we haven't forgotten him. And I feel, and I hope, that when he comes back, he'll get that response. If they, if they bring him back in a particular town, like a smart, heavy town, I think that they'll get a huge response, and it'll it'll make everyone comfortable, everyone. 
in, in saying that he's still there. Like, Brian still can be a main event player, still can get a lot going for him, and can still have the entirety of the fan base around him. So it was – everything before that was retarded. I, I, I could not stand um, Nikki on the mic. I, I – you know, just – it was bad. It was all bad. But – that end point, that end result of her chanting yes and everybody joining in on it was a poignant enough moment for me to say, son of a bitch, <laughs> Brian still matters. And I just wanted to highlight that moment of the show because it was pretty awesome. Well, the other thing, too, in that regard was you'll notice, too, that they also managed to further the storyline between Nikki and Bree by having Bree inside of that handicapped situation and Bree actually instead of complaining, whining, bitching, and moaning about it, she actually just went ahead and did what she had to do and got the win in the match before the uh, the moment that she mentioned, too. So not only were they able to re-invoke the image of Brian in the middle of the ring with the yes chance by having his wife in the middle of the ring leading the yes chance in this particular instance, but they also continued the storyline at the same time, which is something that I don't think we give them enough credit for at times. Right. Uh, as far as the match goes... Really? Could they have picked two worse divas for her to wrestle? I'm not it's entirely they sure. Did it on purpose. <laughs> well, there's another handicap match coming up on. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there another handicap match on main event last night too? Yeah, it's just I, be- I, I don't. I, I can't believe she the meringue and Layla. Yeah, Layla. Anyways, <laughs> that's about the thought of my extent of my thoughts on Layla right now because we're about to touch on it right here in quick hits here, and it was bad. Yeah. But um, in regards to the Brian thing there, I completely agree. Once we get Brian returning, and especially if it happens in a city like a Chicago, like a New York, like a Philadelphia, even Atlanta can be really heavy there, or God forbid they actually go all out and have him return in Seattle. Right. Because I think that would be the ideal place to bring him back, on a West Coast tour and have him return in Seattle because you're in his home state and do it unannounced so that it gets the reaction that it deserves. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you there. And you'll notice that they use the same camera point for Bree standing in the ring doing the, leading the S-Chan as they do for Brian as well, which is another nice yeah. piece of storytelling. Yeah, it looked the top of the crowd, top of the uh, building camera leaning down and looking at everybody doing the chanting. All right, continuing on here, uh, we got some bills to pay, Tony. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and do this here. The reaction, it's still the raw reaction to us, damn it. <laughs> The reaction is brought to you by Powerhouse Radio in association with www.prowrestlingpowerhouse.com. In addition, you can find the reaction on blogtalkradio.com backslash PWP radio. Obviously, we're not the only show on the Powerhouse Radio Network. The Wrestling Week that was airs on on Saturday nights. Uh, the Thursday Night Destruction airs on Thursdays, obviously. The date, there's a debut of a new show coming up this week. Hold on, i got to check the Facebook page here because I don't want to screw this up. Otherwise, Jewel will be mad at me for the rest of the week. And it's a pretty big one, too, because of the guest that he has lined up. 
So while I'm going ahead and looking that up there, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what you do over at 411, Tony? Um, on the weekly Raw Recapper, uh, just uh, whenever, you know, you don't feel like watching all three hours of Raw. Actually, you know what? Even if you do feel like it, the, the, the Raw Report isn't even about the damn Raw Report, um, at least not the live version. When I post it for people to read throughout the week, that one is for people who didn't see the show. They they didn't see it, so they get to see verbatim what happened. Um, I'm typically pretty thorough. However, the live report, seriously, if you go there and you don't read me, stick to the comments because they're amazing on a weekly basis. They make me laugh my ass off. There's so many different attitudes, so many different personalities, all watching Raw, wanting to talk about it. And like I said, at the very least, you know, go there and just have a blast because it's, it's a pretty awesome group of people. Well, in addition, another thing that you could consider doing for the Raw Thread if you want to, and you're more Facebook-inclined than 411-inclined, although I will say I am really digging the new setup over at 411. It makes finding old articles a bitch, but I am digging the new setup. Another way to go about what, uh, discussing Raw as it's happening is to join us over on the Yes, Yes, Yes Facebook group as well, because we usually have a very active Raw discussion thread going on over there. I think this week we hit almost 200 comments again, which is pretty much a pretty much a normal average for us. Uh, in regards to what I was just saying, the name of Joel's new show is Wrestling's Rope Break, and it airs this Friday night. And his guest for the very first episode of Wrestling's Rope Break will be none other than co-founder of F4W Online. Brian Alvarez, one of the guys behind the death of WCW. Wow. You remember R.D. Re- you remember R.D. Reynolds and WrestleCrap? Yeah, yeah, and I know the name Alvarez very well. If he'll be the guest on the very first episode of Wrestling's Rope Break this Friday night here on Powerhouse Radio, you can listen to that show in the same same channel in the same ways that you're listening to our show tonight. Um, another thing that I wanted to touch on too. Wrestling to the Max returns this evening, and due to the fact that Paul Bryan Leeser is out sick, I will be sitting in for him for the first hour, hour and a half of the show to help Sean and Gary Jovan get through quick hits and their take on this week's episode of Monday Night Raw as well. So if you haven't had enough of me by then, feel free to listen in to me. And, of course, Sean, Paul, and Gary are always a really good listen as well on Wrestling to the Max, so make sure you guys give them a check out too. I think that's going to about do it for our plugs. So you want to get into some quick hits? Sure. All right. Actually, you know what? Since it's sitting in the queue and he's never going to use it again because apparently he's faded into obscurity. The reaction presents its tribute to the Greg DeMarco show tonight on Block Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I have the very first thing listed as Layla Rosa. I think the less said about that match, the better. Oh, yeah. Layla looked good, and that's about the extent of what I had. I don't mean good yeah, in the ring. I mean she was very hot. Yeah. I don't. I have. I have very little to say about it. It was. It was a horrible match. <laughs> All right. Your thoughts on the impending Luke Harper singles push? Yeah. You know that was interesting. Um. Um. I. I didn't expect it. 
but I like the way that they're going at it. Uh, rarely do we see a group um, disband without any actual animosity, and I think that this is one of the best ways to do it. Um, Bray Wyatt being the type of parent to let his child go out into the wild, um, I, it's unique enough to work. I really think, and, and it doesn't mean that 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 Bray's just going to disappear. Um, you know, I mean, storyline-wise, I thought it was creative enough and interesting enough to work. And, uh, you know, Harper's been doing a lot of good work as far as a wrestler goes, surprising the hell out of people on, like, a weekly basis, especially me. Um, so I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, but, yeah, I do want to highlight and applaud them for going the route that they did. Instead of having him turn face or attack Bray, or, it would have just been weird if it happened any other way. Um, I didn't see it coming at all. I didn't even know. I mean, were there rumors about it? I don't know. But um, no, it was nice. Yeah, it was the little video, the little vignette of him, like you know, being released on his own, and him being just as weird as Bray, yet having his own twist on it. It all worked out. I liked it. I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. And the tagline was just creepy enough that it's definitely going to stick in people's memory. Peekaboo, mm-hmm. you're dude. <laughs> Not gonna lie, that was probably one of my highlights for Raw. There is the video package that they put together for Harper's singles push, and I'm curious to see what Harper's gonna do. I mean, obviously, anybody who's been listening for a while knows that I was a proponent of giving the tag titles to Harper and Rowan back when they were in the middle of their feud with the Usos. But as somebody that's been following the career of Luke Harper for many years now, somebody that's had the chance to see him live multiple times when Shakara rolled through town, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Luke can do as a single on a national stage. Yeah. All right, we carry on here with Mark Henry and Bo Dallas. Is it just me, or is Bo Dallas getting all of Rusev's scraps? That's exactly what I what I noticed once it happened. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say all of them. It's been Henry and Swagger, but it seems to be the next step as far as, you know, patriotic uh, wrestler stands up against, you know, the terrorist, doesn't quite make it, and then you have the inspirational Bo Dallas telling him why he didn't make it. Um, the only twist here is that Mark Henry beat his ass <laughs> um, afterwards. Twice. I thought it was, yeah, yeah, he beat the shit out of him. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means Henry's going heel or he's just tired of Bo because Bo's supposed to be the heel. Um, I don't I don't foresee Bo turning at all. So it was an interesting um, way of going about things, but at least it's some direction. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it means for any of them. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because I don't care. Uh, I do care. I like Mark Henry. Uh, Bo Dallas is passable. So it's one of those wait and see type of things for me personally. Well, the big thing for me as well is that I mean, you could go basically any way with this here. You could have, you could have Henry lean heel and kind of give Bo a face leading because I think there's enough of a fan base for Bo that he gets enough of a positive reaction from the smart from the smart part of the crowd. The uh, yeah. the the non, for lack of a better word, the, the non-Markish side of the crowd, that I think he has enough of a following that, realistically speaking, you would be able to turn Mark Henry heel by constantly attacking Dallas from behind or constantly beating his ass backstage or however you want to go about it. Yeah. All right, moving on. Slater Gator and Los Matadors. Um, You know, I... I'm not against little people, but I'm kind of <laughs> tired of them. <laughs> uh, 
it's really unfortunate that I can't even tell the Matadors apart, nor do I care to try to figure it out. Um, you know, it's it's if I were to like really look at body shape and type, I'm sure I could figure it out, but. I don't think anybody cares. Not one person reading my report says, oh, man, you really should have told me who was in the ring because I care. Um, The gator roll was funny, but this is all in humor. I I like Titus. I like Heath together. I don't like them separate. So keeping them together is fine. But this just, I have a feeling we're going to see more Hornswoggle in a gator outfit, and it's just, all right, that's enough. So it's neither here nor there as far as whether I like it or dislike it. I, it's extremely passable. If I never saw it again, I'd be okay. But then we have to um, throw in the fact that the buddy was there, who not only has its own superstar page, but is um, friends with Reverend Jesse Jackson. Um, <clears throat> so I, this was the portion of the show that was for fun. And we've talked about it before. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's kept in small doses. And this was small enough to work. I'm officially about to piss off part of our audience. I am 100% sure that bunny is the whitest friend Jesse Jackson has. Oh, for sure. I even put in the report, no color lines here, buddy. (laughs) Oh, I was watching, I got together with a bunch of my friends to watch Raw this week, and I went off on Jesse Jackson even being at Raw because he's such a controversial figure. And that I don't think Jesse Jackson is the kind of publicity that this show needs. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody knows who he is that watches the show. Um, not anybody, but as far as the age group that Raw caters to nowadays, it's it was yeah, it was middle. Although I have to really strike, you know, I have to question how they they show a uh, breast cancer video with Titus basically crying, and then they show him friends with a civil rights activist, and then they have him be you know a heel. It, it didn't didn't really work too well. Yeah, well, you know. Eventually, it's going to have to lead to Titus turning face, especially with all of the PR that Titus gets. Plus, with the impending rumor of the potential reunification of the primetime players, I don't think that there's any question down the road that they're probably looking at going that route with them realigning, even if it's at the expense of a guy like Heath Slater. And then the question becomes for Heath Slater is, where does he go from there? Anybody got time for that? Maybe him, Young, and Titus can make a new three-man band. Oh, jeez. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere Drew Galloway is crying into his evolved heavyweight title. No, he's crying because he got that ass beat. Oh, jeez. I give him, I give D-Mac credit for not striking back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen our fair share of people who strike back. but <laughs> Yeah, it, he's, it's not like he's throwing Mortal Kombat uppercuts inside of an elevator. Great <laughs> rice. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on the topic of not beating up women and actually beating up Russians instead. But not yeah, Lana. We, some, we leave the Russian woman alone. The guy can get his ass kicked, though. Yeah. Oh. Like <laughs> <clears throat> oh. Rusev Big Show. Did you see the little um, quick apology that they issued on .com? There was an apology? Yeah, they issued an apology for Big Show pulling down the flag and leaving it in the ring. 
I had a feeling something would come of that, um, you know, to myself. I mean, of course, we as Americans don't care because we're hypocritical. But I thought to myself, like, yeah, that was kind of disrespectful. I don't care because I said, you know, we don't. But I I did notice it, and I was like, interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the the I don't know. I think if Rusev beats Big Show, then this is all for a reason, and I'm okay with it. But I don't know. Big Show seems to be one of those guys that they like to protect for some reason. And Big Show's yet to be laid, left laying by Rusev, which kind of scares me as far as any kind of uh, the actual singles match goes in regards to how are they going to build it up to the point where Rusev looks like a credible threat to Big Show. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, in the way that the feud's been booked thus far, he, uh, well, doesn't. Yeah. So I think that's going to have a lot to do with how this thing plays out going forward as well. Uh, that's going to do it for quick hits. That's everything that I had touched on. I'm surprised we're remembering as much of the show as we are. Um, yeah, well, I guess it has a little bit more staying power than we think. Give them credit. They actually managed to put on a somewhat memorable episode of Raw. Uh, speaking of things being memorable and things being memorable and actually moving forward, let's talk about the Intercontinental title situation here and Let's go ahead and touch on what happened in regards to the three-way from Raw. And the exact quote that you put in my format is, is the IC title getting credibility? Right. Yeah, um, the, uh, you know, the I don't know. The Miz, I think he's only doing great because of Sandow, um, <laughs> personally. <laughs> but uh, in terms of the, the belt, like, I we didn't like, I, I think you and I were in agreement of hot-shotting the title back and forth. We didn't like that. Um and I'm not even sure why they did it if they were just going to give it back to Dolph right away. But at the same time, it does add some level of importance to the title because these guys aren't fighting because they dislike each other. They're fighting because they feel they deserve the title that is within the realms of their story. Um, Cesaro needs a little bit more. I don't know why he doesn't get it. I don't know why he never gets it. But including him in this automatically makes that title... See, if it's just two people, it's obvious. If it's three, it makes... It means that there's something in that belt that they want. Can't say the same for the U.S. title, but at least this one is getting some semblance of importance um, with regards to who's fighting for it, why they're fighting for it, and it's pretty damn good wrestling. Um, you know, you're you're not getting anything below three stars, I think. No, it's that's the thing too is they managed to put three of their better workers. I mean. I think for all the crap that Miz gets, he's actually a pretty solid worker. And as you said, uh, Sandow has been carrying part of that gimmick for a while there. The best part about that was at the very tail end, after Dolph won the match and Miz was outside holding his leg on the outside, and Sandow was laying on the ground holding his leg as well. Yeah, I saw a photo of it. I thought it was pretty awesome. (laughs) As soon as they showed the camera shot of it on Raw, I busted out laughing. There was only one thing on the on this particular episode of Raw that I found even funnier, and just as a quick tease, we're going to be getting to it shortly. Um, see, the thing is, is I'm actually going to go ahead and make a quick format change here. I'm going to flip flop my hit and your do, because my hit kind of ties into what you're talking about here with the IC title gaining credibility in regards to the lack of the U.S. title doing so here. But I don't necessarily know that given what happened towards the tail end of Raw, that it's going to be a three-way feud going forward. So let's go ahead and hit Harry's hit. 
Go ahead. Here comes up. Here comes up. Here comes up. Here is this. All right, so last week's hit hit was called Hips to Hop, and it was about the bunny. This, right. w- this week's hit is called Flip Flop. And what I mean by what I just said right before I cued the sound effect there is they put Miz Dow into a singles match with Sheamus. And then Miz actually tried to actively get involved in the match on Miz Dow's behalf. We've seen over the course of last week on Raw and SmackDown that Cesaro has been working with Ziggler. Do you think they're switching out the challengers for the two titles by moving Cesaro to Ziggler and Miz to Sheamus? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to see, but at the same time, maybe they're just trying to see how they could work a a unification into all of this. I don't think it's a good idea. I think that they, you know, should focus more on what they have instead of what they don't have. Um, but I don't mind them intermingling. I just want I want them to stick to one reason as to why they're doing what they're doing, and I want that reason to be the belt. Honestly, it was kind of refreshing to see Miss stand up for Sandow during the course of the match with Sheamus, though. I mean, after... Triple H decided to cut both of their balls off proverbially backstage. And then you had Miz, you had Sandow, or Mizdow, however you want to call it, you had him put into the match with, with, with Sheamus. Damien actually got almost six minutes in the ring with Sheamus there, which is way more screen time than his character had been getting over recent weeks. Another rumor to come out of this whole situation is that this is going to lead to a babyface turn for Sandow eventually taking the title off of Miz either the Intercontinental or the U.S. title. Do you think that that is the case? And if so, is that something that you think that they should pull the trigger on? I don't think people care enough. Um, no, the uh, um, Damian Sandow is a great hand in the ring, and I think that he can carry anything they give him, I think, as has been proven. But he's a uh, minor character in a minor story, part of a major show. So he's like three or four levels down as far as importance goes. They're going to need to do some building. And if they are, I think that six-minute match was a good way to start. I think it's definitely going to be a case of rehabbing his character both outside and inside of the ring. And as I said, going almost six minutes with a guy like Sheamus who's known for kicking people's ass, basically, is going to do a lot to rehabilitate the image of one Damian Sandow. Damien Mizdell, whatever. All right. The last can looks empty, Tony. You drink, you drink these things quick. Yeah. Well, no, um, I didn't do the second one yet, so. I know. The first can looks empty, so it's time for the second. Oh. Yeah, whatever. Let's do it. Ah, long one. Stop. Long matter. sound effect. Rewind. So many cans okay. open right now. Um, <laughs> we were in Chicago on Monday, as far as the show goes, and it's one of the louder crowds, one of the crowds that are a bit more active. And I, I we've spoken about this before in terms of what they bring to the show as well as what they take away from the show. Um, I don't think a wet chant is ever necessary, ever. Um, we kind of knew that uh, we were going to get CM Punk chants, uh, but they were at the most random times. And then you had 
funny moments where like the girls were in the ring and we got an, a, a chant for each one of the uh, announcers. But this point isn't necessarily me down talking any of the crowd as much as asking you where's the line as far as what we accept as fans and what we don't. Because there's times where you're like rolling your eyes as to what they're chanting or why. And then I've spoken about PWG shows where there's just like they'll chant for anything. Like someone throws a cast in there, they're going to chant broken legs. You know, like it's just a matter of what's in front of them. Um, so it was more of a curiosity as far as like what would you uh, what would you say is the uh, the line to draw as far in particular Monday night. Uh, in regards to the Chicago crowd, honestly, it's kind of a you know what you're getting from a crowd like that. It's going to be your typical Chicago, your typical post WrestleMania crowd. Uh, Chicago, New York, Philly tend to be the have the same effect as those post WrestleMania crowds in that you're going to get the smartish versions. You're going to get the the we're bored and we're going to let you know about it crowd. But at the same time, I think there comes a point where their chance actively hurt the participants in matches. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. During Layla and Rosa, didn't wasn't there a we want AJ chant? And then they get AJ. And then we get AJ a little bit later on in the show, and they're chanting CM Punk. Now, did they well, want that, AJ that, solely for the... That is the, uh, that is the focal point of, the, of this entire point, uh, the, the CM Punk chants during AJ's presence. It's like, it's just one of those things where, like, we know that you know, okay? It's not cool. It, 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 it's not a big deal. So, like, why, why have it affect the show that you're watching or trying to enjoy you're not going to get a reaction, um, at least not from AJ. She's not. I'm pretty sure she's been told not to, you know, do anything. And there's been times where she'll give a little eye roll or a little head nod to it, but in reality, what does it really bring to the show? What does it really do? It just doesn't do much. Well, and it's the same as it's the same effect as them chanting, the chanting uh, Husky Harris at Bray Wyatt when Bray was first coming out. Yeah. What you're doing is you're actually trying to go above and beyond to hurt the credibility of an awesome gimmick. And you're going above and beyond to attempt to derail something that a lot of fans, myself included, thought could have really been something, too. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really these are crowd... But a lot of it is, is these crowd. these are crowds looking to get themselves over at the expense of the show that they're at. I have less yeah. of an issue with it happening at independent shows because, I mean, you're going to an independent show, you're going there to have fun, you're going there to, to see some good matches, hopefully. But in addition, you're going there to make your voice heard. You're going there to meet, interact, and react with people in order to get that closer to the actual being involved in the experience feel. Whereas at a show like a WWE event, especially a televised WWE event, you're trying to do something there at the expense of what's going on inside of the ring, be it a promo or be it a match. I don't think the announcer chants are ever funny. Yeah. They're not cool. They're not funny. The only thing they're going to do is they're going to end up pissing off people backstage and they're going to be like, okay, well, we'll give you something to chant about, jackasses. And crowds actively go out of their way to sabotage shows on occasion in that regard, I think. <coughs> yeah. Forgive the frog I've had caught in my
my throat for the last couple of minutes. Um, I think it's break time, although technically speaking, we're kind of on pace here, so if you want to go forward, we can, or if you need a break, we it's can take you. one here. It's up to you, Tom. Um, it let me flip matter. the coin. All right, I flipped the coin. I didn't I didn't adhere break or not break to the side, so it was just flipping a coin for no reason. No, um, yeah, we'll take a break. All right, go ahead and play a song. We'll be right back after this with more of the reaction. You're listening to the reaction presentation of Powerhouse Radio here on blogtalkradio.com. I'm an ass man. Yeah, I'm an ass man. Cause I'm a last man Yeah, I'm an ass 
Really? All right. Okay. Yeah, Dorothy Cloud. Welcome back, everybody. Harry Broadhurst, Tony, you still with me? Mm-hmm. 401 Mania, Sero. That sounded like a mouthful of something. Oh, well, that's disgusting, Harry. <laughs> this is a PG-rated yeah, show. Uh, do you want to touch on that right now? Because do you want to touch on a vibrator have... in a briefcase? <laughs> okay, maybe I should have chosen my words better there. Would you like to discuss the fact that they slipped that into a PG show? I just don't know why they did it. I don't see the point either. I don't know. Maybe and it was like an allusion to the Fight Club or something, but it just—it was just kind of there. And the other thing was too is Cole immediately stooging off Rollins. Well, Rollins goes, "It's an electric razor," and then you hear Cole in the background. He has a beard. Maybe he really? shaves his chest, jackass. <laughs> There were times where Cole irritates the piss out of me. No. And, like, most of the time I can ignore it, but then he goes ahead and he buries something like that. All right, I'll admit, it's something that we haven't seen on Raw in a while. It was, it was a clever, it was kind of a clever time to slip, it, slip the joke in as well. But then you're going to immediately get it stepped on by Tweedledum and Tweedledumass at the announce table. Yeah, well, I think it was I think it was a slight allusion to the movie Fight Club um, when they go through airport security and there's a vibrator in their luggage, but it didn't, I mean, I don't know, it just didn't fit. It didn't, it came out of nowhere. I, I want some semblance of, you know, logic behind my jokes because without them, they're not funny. But um, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that moment happened. If ever a time screamed for a topic change. <laughs> yeah, um, of course, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go one show without mentioning, you know, the possibly the best aspect of the entire show. Um, but this has more in line to do with uh, Paige and her new best friend, Alicia Fox. So you got two characters, right? Two female characters whose um, entire basis of uh, forward progression is the fact that they're nuts in terms of, you know, uh, their mindset and what they plan to do and what they are doing and how obsessed they are with the title. It's worked out for the most part. They've had small hiccups in terms of the storyline that they've presented. Um, they they continue to move forward in such a way that is organic and funny and, and just awesome to watch. And then out of seemingly nowhere, you get this new fold into the story, which usually is welcome because you need something new to to continue this, to make sure that the forward progression isn't boring and stagnant. However, when you introduce a character that has no redeemable qualities, such as Alicia Fox, then you're not doing any service towards the storyline at present. Um, more so if it's more of the same. We have AJ and Paige being what they deem as different types of crazy. And then we saw over the last year Alicia Fox develop a character that was nuts enough to steal popcorn from people and throw it. But it came off extremely forced and cheesy and just completely retarded. So when you compare her to the other two that are superior completely in character and in wrestling, it just seems really forced, really bad, and there's going to be someone that loses out, and it's going to be Alicia Fox. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that basically it was thought that the Alicia Fox character was in case AJ decided not to come back? 
Yeah. And now they're actually putting her with, putting her into a storyline with AJ? <clears throat> I don't really, I, I think they're doing it so that they don't have the whole, you know, I, they have to keep AJ and Paige away from each other except for the big event, so they need someone to stand in, similar to how Tamina was with uh, AJ, but it's just a matter of, like, I just don't see it working. Uh, Alicia Fox is not the good kind of crazy. Um, she doesn't do it well. And they, they we talked about this when it was happening. They tend to linger on her a little too long. Um, like, you know, she when she was stuffing popcorn and soda all over and in Oksana, it, it was like an extra minute and a half that no one needed to see. I don't know if they're going to fix that or make it any different, but it's just... I don't foresee it working out too well. I mean, but then again, as long as, you know, AJ continues to beat her ass, then I guess I can accept it. I don't, I think that's the only reason it was done. Um, do you think they missed an opportunity if Tamina is healthy enough to do it to have Tamina come back as Paige's new best friend? Uh, especially, given the, especially given the turmoil that... Tamina and AJ were in back around the time of Tamina's injury, right around the Vicky Guerrero challenge for the Divas title at WrestleMania this year. I think that would have worked uh, way better than Alicia Fox. I think that she just seems forced in there. Um, at least Tamina would have some continuity with what happened prior to um, her injury. And not to mention, Tamina can actually work which is something we've yet to see from an extended term, from an extended standpoint in regards to Alicia Fox being able to carry her end of a match. Yeah, which is just not possible. I mean, did you see that match? Nope. Did, did you see her kick AJ in the small of the back again? Yep. If you're going to throw an axe kick, at least land the damn thing correctly. Her axe kicks are some of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, I think Zach Gowan could pull off a better one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a Fast Eddie Vegas joke here. I hope you get the reference. Hmm. Uh, he was the blind guy that wrestled in Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He throws better axe kicks than Alicia Fox does. I just I And lands them cleaner, too. I don't know if it's, you know, she went to Cameron School of Wrestling or not, but it's just, it's all really bad. Oh, wow. The Can I just reiterate the fact that Cameron tried to pin somebody that was on their stomach last week? That really happened on a live show. There was a person who covered the other wrestler while they were on their stomach and demanded a pin. Two weeks ago. It wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even part of a character thing. She just was stupid. Uh, actually, that is perfectly in tune with Cameron's character. <laughs> no, I'm gonna. I would. I would write her a letter, but I think that she reads as well as Floyd Mayweather, so I'll just let her. Oh. Wow, there have been a lot of really, really mean jokes on this episode of the reaction. <laughs> this is what happens when you give us two days to stew about this show. <laughs> uh, Tony. Yeah. We're up to the final segment. Let's talk about Raw. All right. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of green shit on Raw. Uh, I thought I was watching Nickelodeon for a while. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. On one hand, I feel there's a place for this type of humor because it's a show that's geared towards, you know, 13 and under now. But on the other hand, it's like you're in a very super serious feud, and then you throw humor into it, and it kind of removes a lot of the undertones of intensity. Um, Ambrose and Rollins have been going at it for a while now, and it started off with a heelish turn with a an attack from behind, betrayal, and all that Shakespearean shit. And then you get Monday night, and you've got green goo coming out of a suitcase. And although, like I said, I can't completely bash it because it's somewhat in line with Ambrose's character, um, I am not sure that it was completely necessary, and it could have been done numerous other ways. Um, it just kind of removes you from the whole uh, intensity of it all. You know, there, there's 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 wrestlers that could pull off the hokey shit, um, and then there's other wrestlers where it's just not necessary. And I think Ambrose is one of those where if you keep it intense, you keep it kind of popping out of shit like boxes and cinder blocks and all that, that is something that you're like, oh, crap. You know, like, you get a little excited as a fan. Uh, the green stuff, it's funny, but it doesn't last long. It doesn't have a lasting impact. And it's just, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cheesy. But, of course, that's one man's opinion. Whose opinion is better than most, but still, one man. See, I was actually okay with the slime thing. I mean, I know you would be. Anyways, no, the reason I was okay with it is because Honestly, Ambrose is going to look for any opportunity that he can to embarrass Rollins. And this would be a way for him to embarrass Rollins without actually physically laying any hands on Rollins. And it's a way to irritate Rollins to the point of wanting another one-on-one match with Ambrose. Pretty much the entirety of him stealing the briefcase was just his way to get inside of the psyche, inside of the head, inside of the mental status of Seth Rollins in order to try to goad him into giving him another match against him in a one-on-one situation after losing the match to Rollins at SummerSlam. Now, obviously, we have the whole thing with Cena sticking his nose in regards to the situation as well for Ambrose that he has to play off of, too. But realistically speaking to Ambrose, it's still a one-track mind, and that one track is on eventually getting Seth Rollins back in the ring in a one-on-one situation and finishing the job that he wanted to finish back at SummerSlam or that Roman Reigns was going to finish at Night of Champions. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 uh, I'm okay with it all uh, to a degree. I, I don't. It's not going to hurt my feelings and everything, but it's just a matter of uh, I, I don't like when they remove um, intensity for the sake of um, basically playfulness. Uh, however, I do have to, I, I really appreciate the fact that Ambrose ever since he took the review, has no intentions, nor does he care about the world title uh, shot. As of right now, he's he's focused solely on kicking Rollins' ass, and that's something that people can latch on to. Um, you know, I want to kick someone's ass sometimes. You and me both. Although I'm more of a lover than a fighter. But in regards to the other, in regards to the other thing about this segment that I feel the need to touch on here, because I teased it a little bit earlier, was there a better line on the night than Ambrose's remark to Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble coming down the ramp? Oh, the cruiserweight jab? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Ambrose, it's one of those things where if you if you, if you you script somebody who doesn't need it, then you hinder them and they come off as stale. And a perfect example would be Dolph Ziggler's joke on Pat Patterson. Um, I don't know what show that was. I remember it was a long time ago, but I still remember it. It was really bad. It was super bad. Um, 
But if you give someone just a little bit of leeway in terms of what they can say and not say, more often than not, you're going to get some funny um, funny little jabs and funny lines. And that, that shit was classic. It, it, it was everything a joke should be. It was topical. It related. It had a wraparound. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was good. As opposed to a reach-around? Yeah. <clears throat> Way to bring it back, Harry. That's what I do. <laughs> Oh, you know it's coming. You might as well wait for it. All right, don't wait for it too long because, you know, I sometimes lose these sound effects. It happens. That's what I do! Oh, Mark. Enjoy your Bo Dallas for you, buddy. This is one of those times I actually like... (laughs) This is one of those times, and I actually like Bo Dallas, but this is one of those times where I feel sorry for Mark Henry. Obviously, he's nearing the twilight of his career. I, I just I don't think that being in this feud with Bo Dallas is going to do either of them any favors going forward. Yeah, well, uh, I'm hoping it's not a feud. I, I don't know. Bo Dallas is he's another one of those sides where size is an issue because it's just not believable. Um, but you gotta you gotta admit, giving him a win over Mark Henry, that's kind of a big deal. It definitely helps uh definitely helps Bo Dallas's credibility. I mean, even if he did mm-hmm. get his ass handed to him immediately backstage. And on that note, is there anything else you wanted to touch on for this particular show? Not or particularly. Did we get all the I think we hit everything that was necessary, and if we forgot it, it was probably needed to be forgotten. Um, I think there was a small moment where Goldust crushed Stardust's balls, um, but that was it. (laughs) Damn it. We're going to get kicked off the air. We're not going to get kicked off the air. (laughs) <laughs> this is the least. This is the least family-friendly episode of the reaction ever. Okay, granted, it's I the first know, man, episode of the reaction, but still, I've said some things. That na- name change joke. Didn't I call uh, Seth Rollins a shiny black dildo at one point? I'm pretty sure we're safe yeah. here. Yeah, but that was on the raw reaction. This is just the oh. reaction. <laughs> It was a name change joke. Thanks for burying it. Anyway, it's time for the final reaction. Hey, Tony, what was your favorite moment on yeah. Monday Night Show? Uh, hard pressed to say because um, I don't remember much of it. No, it was it was a somewhat um, uh, average show, which isn't a bad thing considering what we've seen in you know the last what five seven years. Um, but if I had to choose one, which apparently I do, um, I would have to say the uh, – I'd say the opening match was pretty awesome. I watched it a little late. Uh, if you remember, um, Larry covered for me for the first, like, 45 minutes. Uh, but in terms of the uh, the show itself, I, I really liked the opening match. I'll, I'll give it to them. They, they did really well. The IC title three-way? Yeah. All right. Uh, how about your least favorite moment of the show? Um, Nikki Bella on the microphone saying any word. Um, 
anything, everything, every everything that came out of her mouth was horrible. I, I've I've seen I've seen better acting in everything um, that I've ever seen. And I'm talking like 10th page Netflix B movie that you've never even heard of before, starring Kirk Cameron. Um, just man, she's bad. Your overall grade for Monday night's episode and why? Uh, B minus because it was average. Uh, there's some okay wrestling. The tag match was um, all right, but it was also very one note. And if you're going to have a face in peril, please do not let it be John Cena because it's not believable at all. Um, the only the only positive out of that is it gave Ambrose a pop that was very necessarily needed. But I don't know. It's just the other three members in the in that match, no one really cares about anymore. Not that they don't care about them. They don't care about them in their current state. Um, so it really hurt the main event. And I didn't see anything else that was really scanned out. For me, my most favorite moment on the show was probably the fact that they actually closed with the heels on top, finally. Yeah. yeah uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nice surprise to actually see Rollins standing tall at the end of the show, despite the fact that Ambrose got in his quips and his little shenanigans in regards to the slime being used as well. Yeah. My and least the favorite part of the show. Out. Say what now? Uh, also, the fact that John Cena was laid out. Like, he was, you know, he's whether we like it or not, he's a big deal. And um, him being laid out at the end is something that, that should happen. Not all the time, but. Definitely enough to help give a little bit more of a sense of reality to the storylines with the heels getting the advantage on occasion. Um, my least favorite part of Monday Night Raw was the appearance of the Reverend Jesse Jackson. <laughs> I have made it very public knowledge that I cannot stand him, nor his buddy in crime, Al Sharpton. To put this into perspective, I never miss an episode of Raw. Even when I have other things going on, I always go back and I'll rewatch it the day, next day, a day or two after, whatever. The episode of Raw that Sharpton and Jesse Jackson co-hosted, I refused to watch out of principle because I didn't want to do anything that would even be construed as me supporting them or their ideology. I forgot they hosted Raw. I haven't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all right. Anyways, my grade for Raw is a B+. And I agree with you that it was above average. I agree with you that it was above average because you gave it a B minus yourself, which is slightly above average. Uh, I found a lot of stuff there that I actually enjoyed watching. I found a lot of stuff there that I enjoyed talking about too. And it's sometimes it becomes a case for us where we struggle to find different topics to touch on during the case of the reaction here, doing the reaction because there's just so literal, so little memorable stuff that goes on. I think this past Monday Night's Raw had enough memorable moments that it made it easy to discuss, it made it easy to talk about, it made it easy to sit through the three hours and enjoy the show. It dragged a little bit towards the end of the second hour going into the third, but that's kind of a case of them running out of things to do and having to do that third hour. Yeah, three-hour Raws are the bane of my existence. So says the man who has to review it for 411. I mean, you don't technically have to, but you do it out of the kindness of your own. Yeah, letting nice guy. Larry Bonker keep you employed. I love Is it, it employment if he doesn't pay you? Uh, he pays me in love. 
and um, I also get to constantly show my books and stuff. So in in some semblance of a way, I I do get paid. Um, my name wouldn't be nearly well, yeah. as big as it is. The publicity is nice, and you know that gigantic ego that you have to feed too. I'm pretty sure the ego was there before 411, but yeah, it does help <laughs> to have a bigger platform to expound upon it. And use big words like expound. <laughs> I don't know who the I don't know who the idiot was that scheduled this show during the NL Wild Card playing game, but that particular idiot's about to go watch the game. I got nothing else here, Tony. Right. You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. All right, that's going to do it. I want to thank everybody for listening to this special Wednesday edition of the Reaction. We will be back Monday. Do the math. October 6, 2014, with your next edition of The Reaction. Take care, everybody. And remember, if you haven't heard enough of me for tonight, sometime around 1 a.m. Eastern, we will be going live with Wrestling to the Max as I sit in with Sean Garmer and Gary Joe Vaughn to discuss their quick hit section as well as their Monday Night Raw recap. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next week here on The Reaction. A presentation of Powerhouse Radio, www.prowrestlingpowerhouse.com. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you Monday. Deuces, bitches. of Powerhouse Radio in association with ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. Join us tomorrow night for the Thursday Night Destruction on Powerhouse Radio.